Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening. Welcome uh, to the August 27th. 2016 edition of Researcher 135's Community Call Daily Talk with your host, Rich Bernardo. We're having a return guest tonight, Frederick Zapone of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he's been on my show a couple of times in the past. He's written a couple of books. He'll probably touch on some of his other books tonight. But this evening, uh, Frederick Zapone will be discussing his new book, The Tough Love Book About Money. So I'd like to welcome our guest, Frederick Zapone. Good evening, Frederick Zapone of Pittsburgh. Good evening. How are you? Doing great. And how are you doing? I'm excellent. Excellent. Tell me, Frederick, uh, in writing this book, what did you discover about the origin of, of people's money problems? When do people begin having money problems? Actually, they begin having them the day they're born. Literally, the day they're born. And the reason for that is wherever we come from, we didn't need money. So when we get here, we don't have any money. We're not born with money. And the first 14 years of our life is that we are learning from the people around us everything that we think we should know about money. Unfortunately, the lessons that we're taught about money is that money is power and we are not. I mean, if you think about it, from the time you're born, you have no money on your own. You don't have a job on your own. And so as you're growing older, you notice people who have money. You notice how they use it. You notice where they get it from. But you don't have any. So you have no power. But you notice that people who have money can do things. They can buy food at the grocery store. They can you know, take you to the movie. They can take you to the doctors. But you can't do any of that stuff because you have no money which means you have no power. At least that's what you think. So you're really brought up in a culture where money is this um, very important thing, but it's not talked about very much. And so how we learn about money is the way the adults in our life learn about, you know, the way the adults in our life handle it. So your fundamental beliefs about money primarily come from the way your parents dealt with money. So if your parents had really good, powerful attitudes about money, chances are as an adult you have the same kind of attitude. But unfortunately, that's not the way it is. Most people have very discouraging, disempowering beliefs around money. So they end up struggling to make money. They end up worrying a lot about money, when in fact money is never the problem. What the problem is is people lack ideas to make more money. That's basically the problem. And, and one of the things in the book, and the reason why I wrote the book is because people, people I've seen too many people complaining about money as, as if it's something really hard to make when making money is really easy. But it starts with the basic idea that money is paper. And we are the power that gives money its power. Without us, money has no power. And this really applies to each, and each individual that... that that what they have done is, like, when you feel bad about money, with your, think about this for a second, money is paper. So when you're feeling bad about your money problems, you think money cares? Heck no. What you're really feeling bad is about yourself. So really it's about your attitudes and about your relationship with money that determines whether money is going to be a blessing in your life or whether it's going to be a burden in your life. In some of my reading and study, I've run across the term that some people have a poverty consciousness could you define that and, and how it correlates to what you're talking about? Well, the underlying, the poverty consciousness is a scarcity consciousness. So, and, I, and where that comes from, first off, there, there's, the thing you have to understand about money is that there's an abundance of money. I mean, 
for example, Donald Trump doesn't sit in his house with his billions of dollars. You know, it's his, his money's floating around somewhere. It's you know, it's in a building, it's in a bank, it's in you know, it's in a job that somebody's being paid for. So the thing about the poverty consciousness is that if you believe that there's a scarcity, then you will act accordingly, and you actually unconsciously do things that prove to you that there's not enough money. But part of the big problem is that money is not the problem. It goes back to a lack of ideas to make more money. See, as long as you think money is the problem, you can't solve the problem. What you have to realize is it's not your problem. For example, like people say, I want a job. No, most people I know don't really want a job. What they do is they want money. But they have really, from birth, been trained to believe that the safest way to make money is through a job. What people don't get is corporations are actually parent substitutes. In other words, your parents take care of you, your parents provide for your survival, your parents make sure you have enough financially that you survive, and then you leave your parents and then you get a job, but then you have a boss who gives you enough that you survive, gives you enough to pay your bills, but just like your parents, your boss can control you. You know, it's like if you don't behave well enough, the boss will withhold money from you. Just like if you didn't do the chores as a kid, your parents weren't going to give you your give you your allowance. So, the, I, as I said, the biggest problem is that that people don't really think about money. In fact, money is more the subject of money is more taboo than the subject of sex. And you can go with a group of your friends, whether it's your men friends or your women friends. You know if it's women with their women friends, men with their men friends, and you ask about the sex life and everybody will talk about it and joke about it. But you ask somebody, well, how much money did you make last week? They're not going to tell you. Or you say, you know, you, if, you, if you want to know how I'll pay people about money, just ask your closest friend to loan you $5,000 with no guarantee. You're going to get a very bad reaction because people come from the fact that money's scarce. But we've trained this way from the time we are born. You see, if you think about it, when you're born, Money is scarce. You don't have any money. There was no money in your crib. There was no money that came with you. You didn't have any pockets in you when you were born. You are born stark naked without a dollar to your name. So everything you see about money is, is you know, through your parents and through all the authority figures in your life and through everything you read. And so by the time you become an adult, you don't feel very powerful around money. So, and, but, this is a, but this is a result of what I call projection. In other words, when you worry about money, what you have done is you've projected your power away from yourself and into a piece of paper. In order to have power about money, you have to take your power back. You have to realize, hey, if I, have, if I come up with enough ideas, there are enough things that I can do to make money that it won't be a problem for me. But what people do is they sell out for money. It's like they will do things for money that makes them unhappy. And, and you know that you know that we have bad attitudes around money because people are stealing, cheating, lying all the time for money. And then of course we have the thing called greed, where people get paid huge. You know, it's right now it's going on with this uh, EpiPen thing, um, this drug company where this they've just raised the prices like 400, I think it's 400 percent over the last decade. So people who have these allergies who need these EpiPens to survive, if they have an allergy attack, have to pay something like I think 600 dollars retail for these pens now. And during the same decade, the CEO of that company went from making $2 million a year to $28 million a year. It's like that kind of thing gives money, you know, gives, gives money a bad name. People then think rich people are crooks. And, you know, but people who are motivated to make a lot of money, oftentimes their motivation is insecurity. It's like somehow they believe that they have enough money they can protect themselves against anything. But I've got to tell you, when you get sick and you have a terminal illness, there ain't a whole lot of money that's going to save your butt. So it's, it's, it's really the wealth. The wealth is in your attitude. If you have the right attitude, you can live like a king, and you don't have to have a million dollars in the bank. And, and so I, every section of my book, the, the, the Tough Love book about money, talks about attitudes that empower and inspire people. Because the attitude that most people have around money causes them to worry a lot about when they don't have to. I mean, for example, the economy. It's like the they talk about the economy in the news and the economy is bad. Everybody goes, oh, my God, the economy is bad. That means I'm, I might get fired. Oh, it's terrible. And people don't even know what the hell the economy is. They don't even understand what, what, what the economy is. Yet, if you look up the word economy in the dictionary, it means the management of a household or state. 
So a good economy means, you know, that you're managing your household well or your state well. A bad economy means you're managing your household poorly or the state poorly. So we're each economic unit, and each of us has the power to be self-sufficient in terms of always having enough money for ourselves. But we can't have it, we can't have enough money if we're blaming the economy. In other words, anytime you blame anything for your money problems, what is happening is that all of your power to make the money you want is bleeding right out of you. That's the reason why I, I have gotten to have a frame of I don't I don't blame any problems that I ever have about anything on anybody ever, because that's a surefire way to make yourself feel powerless. Frederick, what are some of the ways that the average person can adjust and improve their attitude toward money? Well, I think they have to, first off, they have to examine their, their beliefs about money. For example, we have a belief that um, money is the root of all evil. And I guess to clarify that, they'll say, well, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Well, we're crying out loud, money is a piece of paper. How can it be the root of all evil? It could just as well be the root of all good. So really the thing about money is it's a tool. I mean, before we had money, which is really a convenience, you know, it's a convenience to take bills out of your pocketbook and I pay you for your books with my money and you give me your books in exchange. That's a convenience. Years ago, there was no such thing as as dollar bills and, and we had the barter system where if I made leather shoes, you know, I would make my leather shoes and then I would exchange those uh, for, the, you know, say the meat I needed for my family for my meals. And it, But it was very cumbersome for the barter system. You know, you had to take your shoes, you know, miles down to the farmer's store to get his meat and vice versa. So we came up with this money thing. So so the thing about the money is you have to examine, your, you have to look at what every thought that you have about money that makes you feel bad is a belief that this empowers you around money. You know, so if you think all rich people are crooks, that actually will stop you from making money because obviously, you know, you you might want money, but you don't want people to think you're a crook, so you'll just get by. And, and I think there's the other thing, too. It's like people feel more comfortable being in the, in the same level with everybody else. In other words, the majority of people are surviving around money People will feel more comfortable than standing out like a sore thumb. I remember years and years and years ago, I started a business, and before I started the business, I lived in this uh, development, and it was a middle-class development, and great people, and I loved the people. Then I started the business and started doing really well, started making a lot of money, and uh, and then we moved to a bigger house. And I, and, but none of my neighbors would come, none of my old neighbors who we loved and who we partied with all the time would come and visit. They just didn't feel comfortable being in a neighborhood outside their income level. And so we lost all these good friends because they, their attitudes about money stopped them. You know, I didn't change money. Look, here's the thing. If you're a good person without money, you're going to be a better person with money. If you're a bad person, uh, you know, without money, you're going to be a worse person with money. So it, it, it's a matter of just taking the time to, you know, explore your attitudes. And, and, in, the, and in the book, there's a, a whole section about the different attitudes people have that actually depresses, discourages them versus inspires and empowers them. And it, it just, it, it takes, I, I guess the important thing is that you've got to remember every time you're, you're worried or upset or uptight around money, it's really about your relationship with yourself. It's really about maybe not feeling smart enough, maybe not feeling deserving enough, maybe not feeling worthy enough. You know, because money in itself, it's a piece of paper. It has no power. It has none. But in fact, has, go, go ahead. In fact, in the example, Frederick, that you gave of barter, you hinted at what the nature of money actually is. It is an abstract, artificial representation of stored value. Therefore, instead of bartering one item for another, we use this artificial representation, the paper money, to conduct our transactions. So it, it, that's what, what that is. It's an abstraction. In reality, money is an abstraction. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an idea that we use for convenience, you know. But mm-hmm. but the fact is that we think that money itself is scarce or we think that it is power is so misleading because as soon as you think money is power, you feel powerless. But where that comes from is that you're born into this world without money and everybody, as you're growing up, everybody else has money, but you don't. 
And so you start learning how to make money like other people make money, but then you see that just like your, even though your parents had money and could do things, they had to get the money from somebody else. And so that's kind of universal. The only way any of us can get money is from and through other people. So if you really want to prosper, if you really want to become wealthy, then you have to figure out how to serve people in a way that they gladly pay you your money. Now, unfortunately, we have – people are paying a lot of money and not necessarily for value. What I mean by that, in terms of the gaming industry, the gaming industry is huge in terms of whether it's the video games or the games on your phone or the, you know, the apps that you download that run the little ads. People make millions of dollars on those gaming apps. People buy the – there's an app called uh, Popping Stars, for an example where you can play it, and then you have to buy so many coins, you know. I mean, you have to use more right. money for the physical I would stuff. Ob- I, would observe, I would observe that they, through an addiction of escapism, of entertainment, they are being conned into using their real money for something that doesn't exist, you know, the artificial things that are taking place in the game. So, well, you know, it's really ingenious on the part of the people who developed the games, but it's really, you know, back to P.T. Barnum, there's a sucker born every minute, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, yeah, we've really been brainwashed to spend good money on things that have absolutely no value. Because I think in, in part, in part, we're living in a society, this is a crazy time in society. I mean, it really is. So, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, given, given the kind of the nature of the election, the, you know, the, the conflict and, the, and the, you know, the bad attitudes that people are having towards each other and, you know, people are really polarized, what happens, and the truth, truth is that people are getting, like, scared to death. But rather than dealing with how they're actually feeling, they just bury their heads in a, in a game. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's much easier to avoid a problem, but you need, you know, you need something to distract you, and that's what those games do. I mean, Facebook, I, I saw this the other day on Facebook. I thought this was great. The lady was talking about you saying, you know, the nine-year-old nine kids today, they are interested in getting the next iPhone. You know, what, what is the latest version? They want the latest version of the next iPhone or the iPad or whatever it is. Exactly. Well, when, when this lady was nine years old, she said she was excited about getting the, the big box of crayons. You remember there was the small box of like eight or nine crayons, and there was a big box that had 64 crayons with 64 different colors. You know, that was a big deal back then. But today, you know, it's all and I think what's sad is the you know the the downside of technology and people living in their phones and having their heads in their phones all the time or in their iPads all the time is people are losing the ability to emotionally relate to other human beings. So when they actually have to deal with human beings in person, they don't know how to deal with them. I would even go so far. I would even go so far. Frederick has to say to some extent. They are losing touch with the real reality around them, and, and they're escaping into an artificial reality because that's all those games are. When they stay up all night on some game trying to beat it or go from one level to the next, they're excluding the real world around them because they are escaping into that game. Well, here's the, they are, and here's the reason for it. In the virtual reality, you're in control of everything. In real life, you're hardly in control of anything. The only thing you're in control of in real life is yourself. But when you're playing a game, you're in control of everything. And, 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 and the world has become very scary for people. But, yes, it has. Good. But, it, you know, yeah. And, but, but, but the problem with that, it's like living half a life. It's like it's just, it's living, it's, it's just it's, it's an awful feeling. You know, I, I, I don't know where it's going to go from here. I mean, I, I, technology has lots of great parts. For example, like, like this. I mean, you and I talking on this radio interview. I mean, without this technology, I would have probably never met you. You know, we'd probably never be having this conversation. We'd probably never be having this interview. And so, and so tech, it's like anything else. And I think the technology, I think that we have today, and I think the internet, I think, I think it's like a teenager. I think we're in our rebellious, uh, conflicted, late teenage years in the development of the technology. Now, wh- where it goes from here, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, there's well, a lot. There's a, a lot of good things to it, absolutely. In many, many ways, uh, the Internet and Facebook and social media and all of this is still 
as, as far as actual time concerned, still in its infancy in a sense. You know, we're at the early growth stages. Yeah, exactly. We really are. And, and there's so much information out there. You know, there's so many ways to go. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what it's like. I mean, obviously, I didn't. I mean, when I, was, I just saw this the other day. It's like, I mean, you think about today, for example, you can get an iPhone. Where did I read this? I, I, somebody, I read this not too long ago. Talked about that the iPhone today has more computing power than the 1969 NORAD Defense Command, the North American Defense Command, NORAD. This was the the Air Force's defense command for the whole United States. An iPhone today has more computing power than that whole defense command had back in 1969. So, another, yeah, exactly. Another similar example I've heard, and you've probably heard the same example, is that any ordinary laptop has more computing power than the whole Apollo 11 module that landed on the moon. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And and so it it, it is. It's it, it's quite. The, the technology is kind of like virtual hormones. You know, teenagers have hormones naturally, you know, in their body, but the, the technology part is there's a different kind of hormones. You have all this power. You have all this computing power. You, you can do anything. You can be nine years old, and you can talk to somebody in a, in a foreign country, and you can translate your language back and forth almost instantly, which we couldn't do before. Uh, I mean, I, I remember years ago when I was in the service in the Air Force, it cost, I was at the station in Japan, and the call back to the United States, it costs $20 a minute, <laughs> $20 a minute. And now you can talk anywhere in the world for free, you know. So technology is amazing. Um, and, 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 it's, and, and it's greatly democratized communication. It has greatly enabled the sharing of information. Uh, and it's doing all kinds of things. I don't think we yet grasp all of its potential even. No, no, we, we certainly don't. And, and, and I, you know, and for example, like all the stuff that we, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about how overwhelmed they are and some of the, you know, as you, as you notice, a lot of these news feeds, some of the unbelievable stories of, of the stupid stuff that people are doing or, or the violent stuff or the, or the uh, outrageous stuff or the just, you know, I can't believe a human being would do that kind of stuff. You know, this stuff may have all, always been happening in our world but now with the internet and social media everything gets reported instantly so <laughs> there's a tendency to think that the world is living in chaos you know it, it, i guess it, it's what i call it creates the siege mentality is what it does when in fact uh, you can go out your door and you can walk around the block and it's pretty much the same as it was 30 years ago you know it's like the trees are still there the same trees that were there 30 years ago is still there the Streets are still there, and you know, and, and, and most of the buildings, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 it's all there. So, but I, you know, but I, I, I guess the thing that I, that concerns me most is that there's too much fear-based thinking. You know, people are scared. I understand that, but the thing is, is that's not the way to live your life. And you know, people have a lot of fear around money, and that's not the way you live your life either. You know, as long as you think money is power, and you are not then that's one aspect of your life that you're limited, that you're that you're disabled or you're even crippled because you have attitudes around money that keep you from living the life that you want. And and, and for myself, it's not, you know, a rich life, being a wealthy person, is not about having a million dollars in the bank. It's about doing what you love and making enough money to go and do what you want to do when you want to do it without anybody telling you what to do or when to do it, you know. and um, and people can do that. One of the things that's happened a lot is that we have more and more people working for themselves. We have more and more independent contractors. We're, we're going away from the traditional company where everybody goes to an office and, and sits there for eight hours and leaves. I, you know, I deal with a number of companies who they don't have any staff at all in their own home office except for the guys who started the company. His whole team is spread around in the world in 40 different countries, you know, and they all work from their home. And so, so that's, yeah, that's one of the great things about technology that I, I think, especially when it comes to money, it's like the opportunities to make money today are more than they've ever been in the entire history of mankind. I mean, you get on the Internet, you have the potential of a $4 billion uh, uh, 4 billion people audience. I mean, you have an audience of over 4 billion people. You know, so if you have something uh, worthwhile to share, some service, something to give, then 
you know, it, you can do it right from your home. So, again, it goes back to people. You can't get stuck in that money is the problem. Uh, I don't have enough money. That's my problem. No, because if you do, then you can never solve the problem. The problem always is is, is a lack of ideas to make more money. And there, is, there are infinite ways to make money. I God knows there's just incredible amounts of ways to make money. But I think more importantly is if you're not making money in the way that makes you happy, that is a very painful existence. So to me, wealth begins with making money doing what you love, whatever that is. You know, I used to work for a major corporation uh, back, back to 1998, and I, res- and I made a lot of money, and I resigned because it just wasn't worth it to me. It's like, yeah, I'm making lots of money, but I'm not, I'm not enjoying a third of my life. And so, right, I, right. you know, I, re- I resigned that company to do what I do now full-time, which is to inspire and empower people with my books and my writing. Now I have five published books out, which, by the way, if people are interested, they go to frederickzapone.com, and they can see the books that I have there and, and actually go and preview the books on Amazon if they'd like. But the point is, is that I do this work every single day, seven days a week, up to 10 hours every day, and I love every bit of it. And I make enough money to do what I want to do, but I don't make nearly the money I made when I worked for this corporation. But in terms of psychic wealth, in terms of psychological wealth, psychological income, my life's priceless. I get to live my life exactly the way I want to live it. I love it. You know, much happier, uh, and you have much more mental freedom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you feel emotionally much better about yourself because, one of the things about making money, and, and I, it, what, what money does, one of the reasons I love money, I love money, in the sense that I, I to, be, to clear that up a bit, I love what money can do for the people I love. I mean, I love spending money, but I love spending money on the people I love. And the thing about money is that money allows you to be more you. So if you're a generous, caring person, the more money you have, the more generous and caring you can be, the more things you can do. You know, I don't think money is to be hoarded. I, I, I have no admiration for people that have millions and millions of dollars in the bank because, you know, as long as there's one person suffering because, they, you know, because, they, because they're not being fed, because they're hungry, because they lack a meal, we all suffer, you know. So I, see, one of the problems with money, the bad attitudes people have with money, they actually use it. They use money as a buffer, to buffer them from the realities of life. You know, if I have a lot of money, I can get myself a big house, away from all the poverty there, that there is. I can hire myself security people, and I don't have to deal with that. We have people that are starving to death, and I don't have to deal with the homeless, and I don't have to deal with the, uh, you know, the people that, uh, you know, are, are mentally ill. I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. I can, that's, people use money to buffer, you know, rather than using money to empower. So I believe that you should, I don't believe in charity in the sense that you should give handouts. I don't believe in welfare. What I do believe in is you should use money to inspire and empower people. You know, for that reason, that's one reason I love money. It's like, man, it's like when I can give a gift of money, and I never, I never lend money. I mean, that's, don't ever lend money. That's just a bad idea because it's never going to work and it's going to destroy a friendship. So I've learned I don't do that, but I do give money. But when I give it, it's not coming from I feel sorry for somebody or something coming. I have pity, and, and, and I don't give money to people and ask me because that takes my choice away. You know, I give it to who I want to, but I give it to inspire and empower them. So if it's a, uh, let's say, let's say it's a fledgling inventor, guy is working on some invention that's going to make life better if he ever succeeds at it for a lot of people. Well, I will give that guy money. You know, I I can give money, I'll give money to a starving artist. I'll give money to a, a painter or a sculptor because they have a passion. And they need the money. The money helps feed the passion. It helps grow the passion. I don't give money to cripple people. And, and I think a lot of, I think government does that. I think they give money to cripple people I, rather than inspire and empower people. So, again, it goes back to the, the attitudes. There's, there's, you, can see, you can see money as the root of all evil, or you can see money as the root of all good. You can see money as something that, um, that cripples people and that holds them down. That, and in many cases, people are in... Uh, suffer from what I call economic slavery. You know, they're they're doing what they have to do out of fear not having enough money. 
but then they are a slave, an economic slave to somebody, rather than being their own boss. And everybody is capable of being their own boss at something, because everybody's good at something. And uh, and so I, you know, one of my passions, of course, one of my missions in life, is really for people to uh, question the relationship with money, to understand that the basic thing that's money, it's paper. In and of itself, it has no power. And it's, it, and it's we that give money its power. You know what? I was reminded a moment ago in something that you said there of the difference between a handout and a hand up. And it's summed up in this little quote. And I'm sure you've heard this quote before. If you haven't, you're going to want to remember it because it's terrific. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Exactly. And that's the difference between making somebody dependent on you and weaker or making someone independent of you and stronger. And and I think that's the obligation we all have is to show other people how to live the life that they want, to inspire, empower them, to create their life exactly the way they want, not to make them uh, beholding. You know, uh, I, I am against, I'm against borrowing money. I, you know, the only thing I I think people should borrow money is if they want a house. I, I, I've had houses. I don't believe in having a house anymore. I, I'd sooner rent a house from somebody else and let them take care of all the problems. But I don't believe in debt because when, once you get in debt, then that's where the pressure starts building. If you, if, you get, if you get in debt, then you're no longer the master of your money. You're the victim of your money. So you... It, I mean, I had to reorganize my whole life around money. In 1998, when I resigned from the company I worked for to start writing and doing the work I do full-time now, I had 30 credit cards maxed out, an average of $5,000 in credit cards. But, you know, quick math is like $150,000 in credit card debt. And, and my goal was before I, like, I finally got out of that company, was to make sure that I took care and got rid of all my debt because as long as you have debt, you are in bondage to other people. So, you know, I made it a point to get all my debt, and I sold everything I had. Because the other thing about I don't like things. It's like everything I have is either in a bank account or I can put into my car. That doesn't mean I don't live well. I do. I take cruises. I travel. I do what I want to do. But I don't have to own anything to enjoy. I have no need to own anything. And I just need to own stuff that comes from doing it. I don't have that need. Let other people own it. Let me just borrow it. Also, the other tip I tell people in terms of wealth, I say, again, it's all about money attitudes. It's like, look, if you want to live live a rich life, get yourself some rich friends. You know, enjoy their planes, their their private jets. Enjoy their swimming pools. Enjoy their vacation homes. Because here's the funny thing. I, I have rich friends. They have two or three homes. They have vacation homes. They have this and that. And they, and, and they pay to maintain those. They have staff to take care of. And they're so busy, stuck, trying to make money, that they don't even get to enjoy them. So anytime I want to go somewhere, I just call a friend and say, hey, your cabin in Montana is available. Yeah. And they say, yeah, go. Stay as long as you want, you know. So it's, <laughs> yeah. money can be a, a fun trip, if you have the right attitude, is what I'm trying to tell you. Money can be a really fun trip, or it can be really dramatic and, and awfully painful. So, But it's really up to the person. In my book, you know, as a, as a, it's called The Tough Love About uh, Money. And, uh, excuse me, and, and what I tell people is they really don't know squat about money. They only know what they witnessed as they grew up. Most people don't question anything about money. And so as a consequence of not questioning their views about money, they're stuck suffering around money an awful lot when they don't have to. Because the whole purpose of money is to give you the freedom to be more you and to do what you want to do. Now, the purpose of money is not to start wars. And I and talking about war, I just saw this the other day and this, I, I find this really appalling. In the United States budget, out of a trillion of dollars, that they take in and spend every year. 47% of our budget goes for military. Now, I am all for defending ourselves if we need to be defended. But by God, with, with, with the four, I think 47 billion or trillion, I'm not sure what the number is, so don't, don't hold me to that. I just know it's 47% of the, 
of the total budget goes for military. What would happen if we applied that to peace? See, what would happen if, and that's the thing about money. See, money, money itself is neutral. It's not good, it's not bad. But how we use it makes the biggest difference. Now, one of the problems you have is you have the profit motive in money. Now, there's nothing wrong with profit except the people are not going to start having peace because there's no profit in peace. So we, if, 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 if you want a better use of money, then we've got to figure out how to make peace more profitable in war. And right now, nobody's doing that. I don't, I don't have a clue myself, but I'm thinking about it. So, but Well, if you don't mind me throwing out a political observation, I would say that the very nature of predatory capitalism creates a situation where you have, for example, the upper one percenters who, to a large degree, are uh, making their wealth off the backs of, of the working people, whose attitudes against money, of course, may be what's holding them back. But, but you've got to admit the system is kind of rigged. The corporations have kind of rigged the situation in their favor, unfortunately, and that's part of the, the problem with predatory capitalism. You know, that's a great term. I've never heard that before, predatory capitalism. That is a great, great term. Uh, that, I mean, my God, where, where do you where, do you make that up or have you read that somewhere? You know, I'm not certain. I think I read it somewhere. Uh, I may very well have coined it. I have coined terms before. But I'm sure you're familiar with the classic example, and it would be Carl Icahn with TWA. And that character played by Michael Douglas in the, in the uh, first movie, Wall Street, of course, was uh, based uh, on Carl Icahn. And, and that's what happens. The predatory capitalist corporations raid other smaller corporations, and it's a matter of swallowing up, you know, like the big fish or the big sharks in, in, the, in the pond, swallowing up the little fish, and that's, in fact, the nature of capitalism. That's why Walmart has put so many small mom-and-pop stores out of business in small towns around the United States, even to the extent that some towns voted to keep Walmart out, for example. That's just one example, but it is, a, by its nature, uh, capitalism in its maturation becomes predatory. Well, yeah, that, uh, yeah, and, and, but it becomes predatory because too much power gets put into the hands of a few people. That's why if you have more individuals becoming self-employed, if people realize, if, if every individual realized that they had a skill or talent that they could contract out to somebody, then there would be less corporations because once you belong to a corporation, they kind of own your soul, or at least they try to. It's like they... You know, they promise you, you know, pay raises and increases in security. And how they get you, and like I said, I, I wrote a whole, I have a whole interview up on the Internet somewhere there called about money. It's a, but it deals with the fact about how, you know, we go from the security of our parents to the security of a corporation. But it's the same thing because the, the corporation is a parent substitute. You know, it makes sure that we survive, but it also controls us. And we're not free until, until we become our own cash cow until we have enough confidence in ourselves that we can make money with our art or with our songs or with our writing. And you don't have to be a Taylor Swift and you don't have to be a, you know, a, a, you know, Donald Trump or, you know, the only reason why he comes to mind because she's in the news all the time. <laughs> but you don't have to be one of those people to be rich on a very intimate and personal level. See, if you are doing what you love and you're getting great joy and you're making money from that, that's real wealth. You know, that's real wealth. And more people can do that. And I, I guess, you know, one of my missions is to encourage more people to discover what their passion and talent is and then to go make money with it, independent. I'm not saying quit your job. You know, cold turkey, I'm saying, look, why don't you start making money with what you love doing? There is a way to do it. There's a girl in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you've seen her. She opened a shop, a hog shop. She, this is what this girl does. She hugs people. I mean, there's nothing sexual about this. There's nothing, you know, nothing uh, illicit or wrong about this. She just hugs people who need to feel like they need to hug her comfort, and she'll hug and she'll cuddle them. This lady's making, I think, like $1,500 a week doing this. I mean, she comes in. It's, a, it's an open store, glass front, and anybody can look inside and see, you know, and, and people come in. They sit in the cops. She cuddles them. She hugs them. You know, and again, it's, 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 it's as innocent as it gets. But this is a lady's passion. And she makes over $1,500 a week from that. I know a guy down in Florida who makes, I don't know what he's making today, but I know this is 
15 years ago, he was making $60,000 a year retrieving golf balls from water hazards. You know, he'd get these old golf balls. He'd, you know, he'd go in and they'd, because they were there in the, in the, in the golf courses, the country clubs weren't getting them on. So he'd go and he he worked to deal with them where, because the golf balls, new golf balls are pretty expensive. He'd clean them up and sell them as used, but they were good. And he ended up making, so there's a huge, there's a huge, you just have to, it's like whatever excites you about life, you can make money from it. I don't know what it is, but, you know, I don't know what it is for each individual, but, you know, if it's writing, then write. If it's painting, then painting. If it's, if it's talking to people, then talk to people, you know. Uh, there's, there's an amazing number of ways you can make money, but unless you're making money doing what makes you happy with what, I guess there's two things with money. Money will drain you of your energy or money will give you energy. It depends on what you're doing for it. If you're doing what you love, you're going to be energized. You will rarely ever be tired. You know, when I worked for a corporation, at the end of a you know a ten-hour day, I was exhausted. By the end of the week, I couldn't wait till the weekend, and all I really did was sleep through the weekend because that's how much it sucked me of my energy. But now, I you know I'm in business for myself. I've been in business for myself since 1998. I get four or five hours sleep a night, and that's more than enough because. I talk like this all the time. It sounds like I'm wired on caffeine, but I'm not. But this is just the way I am because I, I'm doing and writing and talking about what I love. And, and the two things I love is love and money. You know, uh, I don't think, I don't see those as biometric opposed. I think they're, they, they go kind of hand in hand. And, uh, and I just like to see more people living the life that they want. And, uh, and so all my books are about, you know, really kind of pumping people up in a very, pragmatic way uh and, and my, my newest book the one that's a couple of book about money it just came out like two weeks ago and, and it's already gotten three excellent reviews and, and the last lady put a review up there she really got it i mean she if, if i've ever had somebody write a review in my book that really understands you know what money what money's all about and what it can do for you. This lady got it and she put that review up. Her her review alone is going to sell a lot of books for me, um, because I put a lot of meat into my books. You know they're easy reads. You read them, you don't have to think about it. Just like wow, never thought about money that way before. You know so you know one of the, as I said, going back to where people feel weak or strong about money, whether they feel confident about uh, making money or not confident. It really depends on their belief that they pick it up from their parents, because that's that's primarily their 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 primary role model growing up. For an example, and that's where we get our conflict about money. See, if there was a lot of fighting in your family around money, then you're going to have lots of fights with people about money, and you're always going to be, you know, going back and forth around money with people. You're always going to be afraid of being cheated, or 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 you know, or you'll attack people who think you're cheating them. Uh, you know, or if your if your parents were stingy with money, you'll either be stingy with money, or you'll be the exact opposite because you hated how stingy your parents were. You know, it, it's funny with my own parents, and I tell the story in the book. You know, my mom and dad were very different with money. And for an example, in the in their later years, I took care of them. I took care of mom, mom and dad for oh, I think close to ten years before they passed over. <laughs> and anyhow. Uh, mom and dad always uh, liked to have a Wendy's or McDonald's on Friday night. I, I'm not sure why that was a ritual. And uh, as they got older and they couldn't go out anymore, they would ask me to go out. And then when and when they had the same thing uh, every Friday, you know, so two bacon cheeseburgers, uh, fries, and a Coke or something, whatever. And when dad had me go out, he'd give me a $20 bill. When it really was only going to cost like seven for whatever they wanted, they gave me a $20 bill. And, so I'd go out and get it. I'd come home and I'd throw the change on the table. And he had insist that I would keep the change. No, keep the change. No, I don't want the change. I don't like change. You keep the change. So that was dad. And dad was generous to a fault. Mom, on the other hand, if 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 she had me go out to, to get the stuff at Wendy's for dinner for Friday for them, uh, instead of giving me a $20 bill like that, she'd give me a $10 bill because she knew it wasn't going to cost much more than 7 And then when I came home, I, shoot, I would put the change from the, if it was $7, let's say, Ron figure $7, let's say, let's say it was six ninety nine, okay? And, and so there's $3 and a penny change. And uh, if I gave her the $3 and I forgot to give her a penny, she didn't ask me where the penny was. So mom was very tight with mom. Dad was very generous. So for a lot of years, I had a lot of conflict 
between being stingy and being generous, and I had to kind of work that out for myself on my own terms. That's the reason why, for example, I don't, you know, whereas, you know, my dad would loan money, mom, and mom would give nobody ever money. I've learned to, I don't loan money, I just give it the free gift when I give it. And, um, and, and my purpose for money is never to make people feel bad. It's always to inspire and empower them. So our money attitudes mean a lot. I mean, I, I mean well, think about it. Money causes so much. You know, how, how many lawsuits? How many lawsuits would go away if there wasn't money involved? I mean, money is like a barter chip. You know, it's like it's like this. With I'm, we're holding money hostage over you. I have a friend of mine. It's, it won't be the first one, but it's like if, if people do end up in a divorce, for an example, oh man, the stuff that goes around and around money, it's really sad. But it doesn't have to be that way if you have the right attitude. Because money, if you have conflict with money, it, mean, it means you're having conflict with yourself and the people involved with the money. You know, because money is, as you said, it's, it's an abstract, it's just a symbol, it means nothing. But, it, but as a symptom, it always tells you what the quality of your relationships are with yourself and other people. You know, so I don't, I don't have money issues. I just, I just don't go there. And I don't have money debt anymore because I didn't like being held hostage to anybody. Plus the fact that it was really ridiculous to borrow money. You know, it's like, because what I'm borrowing on is my future. It's like, oh, it's great. I can, and like I have huge, you know, huge lines of credit that I never use. You know, it's like, then today, they, if you pay your bills on time, every so often they say, we just raised your credit another three thousand dollars. I don't need that, and I'm not going to use that. But but you're under the illusion that that's your money. I have been so, but it's my money. No, it's Look not at your money. Part, part of some of the part of some of the flawed, and I'm sure your book touches on this as well. Some of the flawed attitude, some of the traps that people fall into, you know, the whole snob appeal thing. You know, they think if they go and pay $100 for a dinner at a gourmet restaurant, they've done much, much better than if they go and have a nice $10 meal at the diner. You know, if they go out and pay $100 for a shirt, you know, that makes it better. And, and they use it to validate their self-worth. They pay $200 for a bottle of cologne. You might get something that smells just as good at the dollar store for 5 bucks. But because of the snob appeal, and, and, and again, fashion industry promotes this, the cosmetic industry promotes this. All of this is uh, Madison Avenue at work convincing people they need things they don't need to make them spend money to help them validate their self-worth, to help them make themselves feel better about themselves. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean the whole, as you said, Madison, the whole advertise, the whole purpose of advertising is to make people disenchanted with what they have in order that they will buy more, and they play on people's insecurities. But here's the thing: if you're not insecure with yourself, I don't care how much. In fact, I know I I, I heard this conversation one day not so long ago. A guy was talking, a friend of mine was talking to this millionaire. The guy was worth three, you know, three or four million. I mean, this is mad after this is that. If he sold everything, he would have $3 million in cash. Now, that sounds like small potatoes today compared to some of these billionaires. But here's the thing. My friend asked me, he says, well, $3 million, that's a lot of money. I mean, if you just live on the interest alone, you can live well for the rest of your life. And the guy says, yeah, but he says, I'm afraid I might lose it, so I have to make more. So this guy is driven to make money by fear. And it's like that is, that is a lousy way to live a life. If fear is driving you to make money, then, then the quality of your life suffers. You know, real wealth is your happiness. I mean, if you're happy doing what you love, well, first off, if you're happy doing what you love, it kind of becomes contagious. It kind of becomes, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and people like to be around happy people. And so, you know, if you're, if you're doing what you love, it's like, I don't know if you ever go to, I'm sure you do, do you go to some of these fairs and these, uh, I guess like they have, Fest, you know, local festivals and fairs where the artists and the, all those people show up with their own. Oh yes, home, yes, I have been to those. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't. I, my experience is that when I go to those, like you, some of those, you go, you can tell the difference between people who really love what they're doing. They are so energetic and they are so happy, and they usually have the most people on their booth, and they usually sell the most because that's the whole purpose of the money making process. It should make you ecstatic. And if you are as ecstatic, if you are enthusiastic about what you're doing, then then people buy your stuff only because they're really buying your energy. They're buying your happiness. You know. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 I would make this observation too, and you're one of them, just like I am. 
talented, creative people enjoy the creative process. You enjoyed writing and creating your book. You enjoy it when someone else reads it and, and it helps them. We we derive a satisfaction from that, but money really can't buy that emotion. It's different from just simply having X number of dollars in your billfold. It's a different emotion. The satisfaction of having created a painting or a book or whatever, there's a satisfaction you get uh, from the creative process. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. The creative process is priceless for anybody that's into creating. It, I mean, you can't put a price on that, and that's the reason why you'll have people who could make a lot more money doing something else who would sooner do their. I, you know, I, 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 I have friends that are into woodworking and who make furniture, handcrafted furniture. They make enough money, you know, to pay their bills, but, but, but the wealth for them is, as you say, the creative process of taking a piece of raw wood and turning it into a chair or a dining room table or into a hutch, you know, uh, it's priceless. You cannot, and, and that's the thing about working for yourself. When you work for yourself, you have the freedom to be as creative as you want to be, whereas if you work, you, in fact, when you work for yourself, and I guess that's one of the biggest advantages besides the money, when you work for yourself, you, you have the freedom to be creative. Unfortunately, when you work for corporations, you have very little freedom to be creative, and what you get to do is be repetitive. You do repetitive things every single day that drain the energy out of you and do not foster or encourage creativity. And you know, because you're a very creative person, your whole life, everything you do in your work and your bookstores and your books and, and online is about creative creative expression. And it's like, I'm sure if you work for a big corporation like I once did, you could make a lot more money, but I'm sure you're a lot, a damn sight more happy doing what you're doing than if you were trapped in some, uh, you know, uh, big corporation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Self-control of one's own destiny is, is process. You cannot put a price on that. And and I would like to think that the economic future of America is more and more people going away from the corporations like you did and starting their own business, their own entrepreneurship, whatever particular talent they have, whatever way that they decide to pursue it. I'd like to see more and more of that. And I think that's going to happen. Well, and I do, I do think it's happening. And, I, and, and that's where technology comes in. That's where the Internet comes in because it gives everybody, without leaving the comfort of their own home, a huge audience. You know, all you have to do is find your passion and start putting it out to people on the Internet because there are people all over the world who are potential customers, whereas in the old days you had to have a, strictly you had to have a brick-and-mortar store and your audience was limited to maybe 10 miles from your town. But now, yeah, so I think there are more and more people. They just, they just need the guidance. They need the inspiration. They need the power, and that's part of what I do. I also have an About Money page on Facebook. It's called About Money where I give a lot of insights and hints and tips about Money, because it's all about attitude. It's not about whether you're working for yourself or you're working for somebody else. It's, it's about if you have attitudes that make you feel great about yourself in regards to money, then making money is easy to do. If you have attitudes that depress and discourage you, then making money is very hard to do. So, uh, And money is just a tool. You know, Money makes it possible for you to live the life you want. Or if, if, if you don't have the right attitude, you can become a prisoner to money. And I don't like being a prisoner to anything. So I'm not a prisoner to money. But, uh, yeah, so. One of the byproducts of industrialization, and there's a book you've probably read many years ago by Thorsten Veblen called The Rise of the Leisure Class, and, and it's talking about the industrialization that happened prior to, during, and after the Civil War, and, and the whole factory thing, and how this increased wages and increased money flow and enabled people to have more leisure time to pursue things. And it's out of leisure time that all the great literature and art gets created and produced. It's out of available leisure time that Edison, of course it was work for Thomas Edison, but all the great inventions come from somebody not being a slave to a corporation, but having the time to pursue that invention, having the time to sit down, design it, build it, to create, the freedom to create. Yeah, the freedom to create is, yeah, you can't, that, that's, I think that's true will, wealth, the freedom to create, to create your life the way you want to create it. And you can't do that if you are a slave to money. And many, many people are slaves to money because they're in debt. They're way in debt over their heads. And so they're always behind the eight ball trying to catch up. And, be, and, and they're so, 
So really, that what they're doing is they're living their life out of fear rather than out of love of doing what they want to do. And as you said, and I agree, more and more people uh, are looking for options outside the corporate world. You know, they want to be able to make enough money to take care of their family and do what they love, but they don't want the restraints where they can't fully be themselves. You know, I, I really believe the purpose of the money is to allow you to be more you. And, uh, and, 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 and there's also the satisfaction. It's like when you're in business for yourself, you know, you, you have no one to blame. If, if, if you don't give yourself a raise, <laughs> you have no one to blame but yourself. You know, no, no one is telling you how little or how much you can make. It's all up to you. And it's all finding that, that level of money where you feel rich. Because there's nothing, you know, there's nothing better than feeling rich. I mean, that, that, that's just such an, I, I, that, well, the word feeling rich, it's really the experience of feeling abundance, feeling uh, free, feeling uh, passionate, you know, that's the way life's supposed to be. It, it's kind of, that's the, that's the way we come into life, you know, where there were these passionate bundles of joy, and then we get shut down into this cookie cutter mold to be something we are not. And then we have to fight through all that stuff to be free again. And, and, and so money should be that tool to set people free to do what they love. That's, that's my bottom line message to people. You know, use money to be free to do what you love. You know, and that's where I am with it. And I've got another little story, and this is going to be a bad paraphrase because I don't remember where I read this, and I don't remember the original Exactly, but I can give you the gist of it because the point is very, very good. Now, there's a couple of ladies talking, and one lady's husband makes five or six million a year, but he's unhappy and he's working all the time and he's constantly chasing money. The other lady's husband only makes a hundred thousand a year, but he's happy and content. And the lady who's uh, married to the beer says to the other lady, "How come your husband's happy?" And she says, "He has learned the meaning of the word enough." That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, see, see people who uh, are very insecure, people come from a lot of fear, there can never be enough money for them. That's like the millionaire friend I was talking about. that had $3 million in meaning free and clear he had $3 million, but he was afraid of losing it, so his fear was motivating him to make more, and he wasn't getting to enjoy his life. I mean, I know many people, I know, sadly, I know too many people who uh, out of fear accumulated a lot of money, never got to do what they really wanted to do, died, and then their children or their wives or whoever left behind got to enjoy their money. Uh, I talk to people every day like that. I say, look, you got enough money. Start enjoying life. Oh, but, but what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? Well, <laughs> it might, but I was, you know, I, I always tell people, look, Here's the way to see if you're living your life the right way. Project yourself into the future. Let's say you're 90 years old and you're on your deathbed. Can you, can you look into the future right now and say I'm, you're on your deathbed 90 years old and look back over your life and, and see if you have any regrets? If you can, you know, visualize, you know, into the future on your deathbed and look back and you have regrets, you better change your life right now. Because I, I don't think people are afraid of dying. I think they're afraid of dying before they've lived. And as long as you are motivated by fear or controlled by money, uh, you're not living. You know, uh, I want to live in my life like a Roman candle. And, man, I want to go out like uh, the biggest firecracker you ever did see. And I'm pretty sure I will. And I'm pretty sure, you know, one of the great things, see, one of the great things about what I do in writing is if you, as a writer, you, you become immortal because your words are going to live forever. My words will be on the Internet for until the, this planet disappears. And, and, this and the, this this the, show here tonight that you and I will both have downloaded copies of, and we will share around to different Facebook groups. And I'm right. even going to make a, a YouTube video of some of the best of it. This will have a permanent life of its own that will go on and on and on, and will continue to reach people long after tonight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, in, in some little way, in ways we won't don't even know, we're changing people's lives because this thing will go on and on, and will have a life of its own, and and and. You know, what more can you ask? You know, what more can you ask than that than to uh, to make people inspire them in some way or empower them in some way? And that's what you do and that's what I do and that's what makes life worth living for me. I, and I'm always, I always love being on your show. I, I think you have a great show. You're a great host and I thank you so much for having me on again. 
Uh, it's been certainly been a lot of fun for me. Well, Frederick Zappone, it's always a pleasure having you here. I always enjoy having you on. I hope you'll be back many times as a return guest. And for everyone out there, uh, the tough love book about money, and it's available on Amazon, correct? Yeah, it's available on Amazon. And if they go to frederickzappone.com, they can see a list of all my books, click on any of the book covers, and it'll take them to the Amazon where they can read a preview of the book. Frederick, I want you to have a fantastic evening, and I look forward to our next show together. Thank you very much, Rich. You have a great one, too. I'll talk to you soon. Good night, Frederick. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.